This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by Oklahoma State Medical Association, physicians dedicated to providing and increasing access to health care for all Oklahomans. More on its vision and mission at okmed.org. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. The state Supreme Court ruled earlier this week the Oklahoma Constitution allows for a limited right to abortion. In a 5-4 to four decision challenging the state's ban on the procedure, justices said there is an inherent right of a woman to terminate a pregnancy when necessary to save her life. Now, they didn't make any ruling on elective abortions, but more challenges are forthcoming. So, Ryan, where does the state now stand in its abortion ban? Well, this is, uh, of course, we didn't get to elective abortions, like you said, <clears throat> but I, I do think that this is an important step forward in protecting women's health in the state of Oklahoma. Um, because until we had this ruling, uh, doctors were going to be forced to wait until a medical emergency before they could intervene and save the life of a mother and terminate a pregnancy if necessary. That's a big difference. And, you know, um, I think Justice Cogger and her concurrence, concurring opinion, which if you, if you don't read anything else of this, go read Justice Cogger's concurring opinion in this. It, it is, is magnificent and I think makes uh, a lot of uh, very important points. But <clears throat> one of the things that Justice Cogger talks about is if somebody goes to the emergency room and they're, they're, they've, they've uh, got elevated white uh, blood cell counts, they've got a fever, they're sore around their appendix, uh, doctors don't have to wait until there's an actual emergency uh, to remove that appendix uh, because we know that a medical emergency is imminent. Uh, but the idea that you have to wait until that point uh, is, is really terrifying for a lot of women and I think their healthcare providers in the state of Oklahoma. What this court did, and they, they did find a limited right, I don't think that their analysis is going to lend itself to uh, a broader expansion of abortion rights under the Oklahoma Constitution, because what they did is they said, uh, looking at the Dobbs analysis that the United States Supreme Court did uh, whenever they overturned Roe, they went back, the Supreme Court there, the United States Supreme Court said, if we're going to have a fundamental right under our due process clause, it has to be a right that has been around throughout the duration of the republic. Um, and so... They began, that the state Supreme Court justices here began to look at what were the abortion rights that existed in territorial Oklahoma? What were the abortion rights that existed right after statehood? And while there hasn't ever been a, uh, a right of elective abortion or, or expansive uh, other, um, uh, other right to abortion in the state constitution, they did find that in, even in territorial Oklahoma and at the beginning of statehood, even though we prohibited abortion, we always allowed it whenever it was to save the life of a mother. Uh, and you know, so that's, that's what they found. And I think that that is a very important backstop in our state constitution. Of course, the legislature and the, and the governor can do more uh, to protect women's health, but this is an important backstop. Neva. Well, <clears throat> I think, first of all, it was a 5-4 decision. And I think uh, Governor Stitt, in his statement, uh, which uh, strongly criticized uh, the court on their opinion, he basically took the uh, position that this was an active activist majority's opinion that uh, created this right to, to an abortion in Oklahoma. And he went on to, you know, basically say that uh, that this is a policy decision that belongs to the people. So um, in the dissenting opinion, uh, Chief Justice Kane, um, he, he was very clear in, in saying that uh, um, in, in his instance, I think his words were that, uh, that the majority of the justices had engaged in what he called legal uh, contortions to, to protect um, women in the, in the fashion that they uh, outlined in their opinion. This 20-page opinion, I think it is fascinating reading on, on, on both sides in terms of the arguments that were made. 
And I think when you look at the composition of the five justices and the four justices in this opinion, you had um, all of the uh, justices that were appointed by Democrat governors plus one that was appointed by a Republican governor. And then you had all of the uh, the three appointments that have been made by Stitt during his time as governor and one additional um Justice. So it's a fascinating split on the court. I think that uh, looking long term, I mean, one of the points, just as you alluded to, uh, Ryan, is the fact that they probably opened the door to more questions and more challenges and more conversation on this than they did anything to definitively decide the issue moving forward. It was odd to me because, you know, Governor Stitt during the uh, gubernatorial debate back last fall, whenever he was running against Joy Hoffmeister, on that debate stage, he seemed to indicate that he would be open uh, to creating, you know, greater exceptions for the life of the mother uh, for rape or incest. And uh, he said, if the legislator, if the legislature sent him those, that he would, uh, I think, I, I forget the exact words, but he indicated that he would sign bills like that. And so his statement here seems to imply that the Oklahoma Supreme Court created some sort of Roe v. Wade right of abortion uh, in Oklahoma when it certainly doesn't. This is a very narrow and very limited decision. And if you even if you look at the rationale and the analysis of the five justices in the minor uh, in the majority, um, you know, that their analysis does not lend itself to a Roe uh, type decision based on the Oklahoma Constitution. But you know, Justice Conger, when she looks at that history of of preserving the uh, preserving a woman's life, uh, even as a as an exception to our criminalization of abortion since statehood, um, she says that 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 existed before women had little or no say about their bodies. You know, we were at a point when uh, basically, you know, husbands could rape their wives and it wasn't a crime. Uh, You know, and he said that uh, Justice Cogger says that, you know, it happened before women had little or no say about their property, about their ability to vote or about their ability to hold certain jobs, be a uh, licensed practicing attorney, that this right to have an abortion to save your life is a right that women in Oklahoma have had that have predated so many other rights that we just take for granted right now. And that's why the court said, in this limited circumstance, we find as a matter of of our due process in the state of Oklahoma, before you're deprived of life, liberty, or property, this is a fundamental right. And before the government's gonna take that away, they gotta meet a very high bar. Well, one of the things that Chief Justice Kane said, um, and he, on behalf of the dissenters in this opinion, was the fact that the task of balancing the developing life of the unborn against the life of the mother their contention is that it must be resolved by the legislature, not by the courts. And in this instance, the belief, as the governor described, a very strong activist uh, court in this in this particular opinion. So I think uh, I think it's going to be, as I said before, fascinating because uh, the the real swing vote uh, in the five four decision was. Uh, uh, was was the potential of this mix of the Republicans and Democrats on on the high court, and we all know that that does influence the uh, influence the decision making and the fact that in a in a second term for Governor Stitt, the likelihood is always very good that there may be an additional appointee or two that he may make to the court that will further uh, change the composition. The Environmental Protection Agency says Governor Stitt cannot legally refuse toxic waste from a train derailment in Ohio. We talked about this last week, but now the EPA is citing federal laws and 
court cases in saying Oklahoma has to store the waste in Clear Harbor's Lone Mountain Hazardous Waste Facility near Winoka. Neva, it looks like Stitt isn't backing down from this. Well, and I think uh, I think there's, again, as we said last week, there are more questions than answers that continue to uh, uh, surround this particular episode in, in Ohio and what they're trying to do. I mean, and it's not just Oklahoma uh, raising these issues and challenging the EPA. You have regulators in Texas and Michigan that have also uh, expressed the same concerns about uh, receiving this waste. And let's talk about the let's talk about what continues to come out about in this instance the waste in Ohio. I mean, uh, there were reports I think just in recent days uh, in, within the last week of the uh, Ohio Department of Natural Resources that have come out talking about uh, uh, the statistics are really uh, mind-boggling. I mean, 3,500 dead fish found in the local streams uh, immediately following. The fact that uh, there were within, I think, a five-mile radius, there were 40-plus thousand animals dead. I mean, there's some real serious concerns here. And I think these states, what they're raising the issue is, in some instances, they're saying, look, we're being told of this information and this push by the EPA, and we're learning it from news services, not from the uh, EPA itself. So I think until everyone gets on relatively a same page on this, there's there's going to be pushback. It's not about moving toxic waste. It's not about these facilities doing what they've been doing year in and year out in terms of waste disposal. It's this particular instance out of this derailment in Ohio that is really what we're talking about. And it's an issue that seems to have a lot of a, a lot of sidebar issues that no one wants to bring people to the table, or it doesn't appear at least publicly at this point, and really talk about. Right. Well, and I think the question of you know whether Oklahoma is, are, is going to have facilities that process and store this toxic waste, that's a policy decision that the legislature could take up right now. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that we have this facility at, uh, at Lone Mountain right now in the state of Oklahoma, uh, that they are already receiving uh, you know, the, the Lone Mountain facility, according to a KUSU story, says that they uh, had disposed of 1,733 uh, tons on average every year since 2017. Now, keep in mind, the, the amount here that we're talking about is twice that amount of contaminated material. EPA says this material is being tested and analyzed more than any of that other material that's going uh, into Oklahoma. And I, I think that that's, that's an important consideration. Also around, you know, you know 97,000 toxic waste shipments in the, in the United States every month, about two-thirds of those cross state lines. And uh, I think the EPA is correct to say, you know, we are we have to all be in this together. This is a, a matter of national concern, and to interfere with that matter of national concern uh, frustrates the ability of our fellow states to be able to take the appropriate action. And for the responsible party here, the, the, the railroad operators, to take the responsible action in cleaning this up, they have to have a place to send this. Oklahoma right now has a place where it can go uh, and to just, you know, throw up a roadblock. Where I, some I, of it can go. Where some of it can go, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think to throw up that roadblock, it frustrates the ability of the people that are charged with cleaning this up. Uh, it makes it harder for them to do their job. Uh, and, and again, frankly, this is just a matter of uh, you know, we are a republic. Uh, you know, we're not just a bunch of individual, you know, loosely confederated states. We are a republic. And, 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 and whenever you're talking about something that affects all of us, uh, all 50 states, we're in this together. And, you know, I, I would hate to think that if something like this happened in Oklahoma, uh, that other states would close their doors to us uh, and, and say no. And then we would be stuck with it for even longer because, the, you know, as long as it's in that crash site, it's not in a contained facility. 
It's not in a place where it's licensed and regulated uh, to be able to contain and hold this this type of hazardous waste. It's just there, and it's hurting the people uh, and the, the animals and the water, everything else there. Oklahoma has a responsibility to step up here. If, if Oklahoma and Governor Stitt decide, listen, we don't want this to ever happen again, we don't want to accept toxic waste into the state of Oklahoma, I'm sure we could set a policy that you know, closes down toxic waste facilities in the state of Oklahoma and makes it impossible for them to operate or, or stay open. And then, you know, then it wouldn't be a matter of us saying no to a particular shipment. We'd just be saying no to all of it. But I think as long as we've got this, uh, you know, we have to, we have to, we have a duty to our other uh, fellow states. Well, and, but let's be clear. This is, this is something that is being raised by multiple states. I mean, we're talking, I think, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. I mean, there are multiple states expressing concern. And I think all they're saying, uh, the upshot is, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's make sure we all know what we're dealing with. Um, in the instance of shipments that continuing, absolutely. I mean, we've got, I think the statistic is somewhere in the 100,000 100, range of shipments uh, across the country of hazardous waste uh, every month. I mean, you know, it's a, it, this goes on and is continuing to go on as we speak. So it's not that, the, that something is going to stop or we're going to have facilities potentially shut down or, or states even talking about you, you, somehow you're going to have to drive the truck around or move, move trains in a, in a way to not come through our state. That's not, I don't think that's ever been the discussion at this point. I think it is more just let's get to the bottom of this specific derailment in Ohio. The Attorney General says State Superintendent Ryan Walters doesn't have the authority to impose new education rules. In an advisory opinion, Gettner Drummond says Walters and the Board of Education can only adopt new rules on school library books and sexual education materials when directed to do so by the state legislature. Ryan, do you think Drummond's opinion will have any impact on the decision at the Board of Ed? Well, I think it ultimately will. Whenever the decision at the Board of Ed is to move forward uh, in in you know complete uh, defiance of this, I mean, defiance is, is the wrong word because this isn't a binding opinion. Mm-hmm. But when they move forward, regardless of of knowing that this is the law, uh, I think the courts are going to side with uh, A.G. Drummond's opinion here. Uh, just you know, hands down. I don't think there's any question. But even before we get there, the legislature is going to have to approve these rules, and I don't think that they're going to approve these rules. Uh, so this this is really an exercise in political futility on on, behart, on behalf of the superintendent, which you know, no surprise. It was interesting. His uh, spokesperson, uh, who I don't know, Matt Langston, uh, you know, said, you know, in his. He's state, also the interim chief of staff, apparently. It, okay, well, good to know that. Uh, <laughs> you know, the interim chief of staff, instead of taking this seriously, uh, he starts throwing bombs at Representative McBride, who requested this opinion, uh, and and said that. Uh, it's, he's, this is, these are his words. It is strange and odd that a specific letter was delivered to a state representative who is having an identity crisis as a so-called Republican. Uh, that's just bizarre to, that that's where you go with this. But let me point this out. What the, uh, AG's opinion says is very conservative. It's the, uh, it's the superintendent, Ryan Walters, who's not acting conservative here. He's what governor Stitt might call an activist growing government. Because we have checks and balances. The legislature writes policy. It's up to the executive branch to administer the law as it's written by the legislature. And if the legislature gives the executive branch the authority to basically undertake the legislative function, well, that violates the separation of powers, and that law is void. And that's what we're dealing with here. What Ryan Walters is asking for is the the ability to be the legislative body and the executive branch all in one 
that's not conservative at all. Uh, you know, that, that's consolidation of government stuff. I mean, maybe, you know, kind of the stuff that we might even see in communist China. Uh, <laughs> But that's, that's what we're dealing with here. I think the AG's uh, opinion is, is well-reasoned, and you copy and paste that into a brief in the, in the event that it even gets there, uh, attacking any of these rules, and these rules are going to be thrown out by a court. But I don't even think they get to a court. I think the legislature rejects them out of hand. Neva? Well, a couple of things. One, I mean, the advisory opinion, I mean, it would appear that perhaps some of the folks at the State Department of Ed don't understand kind of the process. I mean, uh, really getting in and understanding the legislative process and how all of these uh, things uh, interact, I think, would be key. I mean, the attorney general gave a, an advisory opinion because it doesn't issue formal opinions during a legislative uh, session because of the, the potential that formal opinions could be on questions that are related to pending legislation. And in this instance, I mean, if the State, De Board, State Department uh, uh, Board of Ed um, approves these agency rules over and over and over as they as they're proposing them and they go to they go to the legislature and the governor for approval i mean we can see that that's where it kind of goes off the rails in the instance of attacking one lawmaker i think you're right i mean a, a, a lawmaker who's now in his 11th year in the legislature, mm-hmm. serving on important committees, chair of a major committee uh, tasked with dealing with education and specifically the Department of Education. Um, and, you know, I think in this instance, a Representative uh, McBride made it pretty clear. He said, look, uh, there, there are three branches of government. Right. There are not four. And that the Department of Education is not a branch of government. That's a pretty good volley back across the that's right. You know, in terms of, of the net, in terms of uh, making it clear where everybody comes down in, in this whole uh, episode, and it's going to continue. I mean, even after all of this early in the week, we had the uh, the Board of Education, the memo coming from Ryan Walters, uh, uh, basically uh, now taking on the unions, as he would describe them, uh, the o- Oklahoma Education Association and the Professional Educators of o- uh, Professional Oklahoma Educators, POE, um, and taking them on. And so, again, I think it's going to be this very bombastic back-and-forth exchange that doesn't seem to be dying down. And I think uh, for lawmakers, it's going to be interesting now that we're really getting into throes of what's going to be legislation that's going to wind up on the governor's desk, what's going to happen with the uh, pending um uh, Senate confirmations, you know, including that of Ryan Walters mm-hmm. as the Cabinet Secretary of Education. Um, all of those things are really, uh, they're they're reaching a very quick crescendo, and it's going to be interesting to see where the governor continues to come down in this. I think you're right, Ryan. I mean, he, he uh, in trying to negotiate and deal with lawmakers, I mean, this becomes a very difficult, uh, challenging, I think, proposition to have this conversation going on with the largest agents the largest funded agency in the state of Oklahoma. Well, and Representative McBride, we forgot to even talk about what the rules are. Uh, I mean, you know, this this is part of you know secret, got lost in this the is translation. Part of Superintendent, you know, Walters, you know, war on pornography in schools, which I which I, I've yet to find. Uh, but you know, Representative McBride says that the rules are redundant and that there's already rules in place that allow uh, schools to you know look uh, uh, inspect library Local materials control. and and that you know parents are notified of sexual education instruction. I got a note uh, a couple of weeks ago and had plenty of time if. I'd wanted to, to, to opt my child out. Uh, you know, th- these things are working right now. And I think, 
you know, Representative McBride, like you said, well-respected in his own caucus, uh, respected across the aisle. You know, folks know that he is a, he's an honest broker. Uh, he is not the guy that you want to pick a fight with in the legislature because you, you're going to lose that fight. His, his fellow lawmakers are going to rally behind him. He's got the votes. Attorney General Gettner Drummond is calling for an investigative audit of the Oklahoma Turnpike Authority. Drummond wants State Auditor and Inspector Cindy Byrd to look into the operations of the agency amid concerns about a massive toll road expansion across the state, including a controversial extension in Norman. Neva, what do you think of this investigation? Well, I think it's significant because an investigative audit goes well beyond the annual audits that mm-hmm. the uh, Turnpike Authority's financial statements and information that's uh, that's out there year in and year out, and the Department of Transportation. But in this instance, I think uh, uh, I think what what the upshot again is that you have the attorney general who basically comes out and says, look, over the past few months, I've talked with lawmakers, I've talked with community leaders, uh, state employees, private citizens, uh, people directly affected in uh, some of this uh, uh, ongoing fight with the Turnpike Authority over locations of turn future turnpikes, all of that. And in in addition to that, he expressed concern that there is this ongoing question of are there have there been improper uh, transfers between the OTA and the Department of Transportation? Um, questions on contracting, questions on purchasing practices, questions on uh, inadequate financial controls. The list goes on and on. So I think uh, auditor uh, auditor inspector's office is going to uh, uh, now be tasked with jumping in this full force. And there have been attempts, even by the legislature, to try to move to have these more exhaustive looks at what's going on inside uh, the Turnpike Authority. That, granted, the uh, Turnpike Authority Executive Director Tim Gantz, uh, Gatz this week basically said, "Look, we welcome the scrutiny. We welcome. Come on, let's. Uh, uh, we That's will. What you we, we will cooperate. <laughs> yeah, and that is exactly right. I mean, that is what you do to um, put a good face on something that is going to be a very long, probably." protracted uh, process and who knows what the outcome ultimately will be. Right. Well, this goes back. I, I think that the Turnpike Authority put this target on their own back. Uh, you know, over the last couple of years with this this uh, Turnpike expansion project, you know, they have played so many games that ultimately culminated in Seminole County District Judge, you know, sitting in Cleveland County uh, to avoid a conflict uh, with the existing judge there. Uh, sitting there, he found uh, Judge Olson found w- that the Turnpike Authority willfully violated the Open Meetings Act. That's a huge, that's a crime. Uh, and now, of course, the Turnpike Authority uh, is appealing that decision. It seems to me unlikely that you know, that they have any sort of uh, compelling argument that's going to get Judge Olson's uh, ruling and order overturned. Uh, but I think that that gave uh, A.G. Drummond you know, really the rolled out the welcome mat for him to say, like, we're going to really dig into this because uh, the attorney general said such a blatant disregard for openness and transparency suggests to me a willingness to engage in any manner of unlawful conduct. So it's like where there's smoke, there's fire uh, kind of a policy here. And you're right. An investigative audit. I mean, this this isn't just, uh, you know, show me your checkbook. This is, you know, turn the couch cushions upside down (laughs) and, and shake it and see what comes out. 
Um, and I think that this is a signal to, to other state agencies that, you know, we have these, we have rules about, you know, transfer of money. We have rules about openness and transparency. Uh, and you've got to follow those. Those, you know, we didn't just you know, write those and, and put them in our, in our law books just for the heck of it. They're, they're there to protect the people of Oklahoma uh, so that we can hold our elected officials uh, and our state employees and appointed officials accountable uh, to the public policy that we've asked them to uh, uh, enact. So I think that, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what uh, this turns up. I mean, I think for on behalf of all Oklahomans, we hope that it doesn't turn up anything. It would be great that there's nothing there. Uh, but I, I seem to think that uh, Gittner Drummond probably thinks that there's something there. Otherwise, he wouldn't go through this enormous lift. And there, and it's an, an appropriate time to go through this process. I mm-hmm. think uh, because you're right, even with the details, I mean, the issue where they willfully violated the Open Meetings uh, Act. I mean, when you talk about projects that the details on $5 billion, B, not M, $5 billion and a $15 million uh, project, a plan uh, for the expansion of turnpikes and toll roads. I mean, this is something that uh, affects every Oklahoman. I mean, and it affects uh, the credibility of these agencies uh, to really, I think they would welcome it to the extent that they need to put this behind them. And the only way to do it now is to go through the scrutiny, to go through the very detailed, uh, exhaustive audit that is before them to see what comes up. And if there if there are things that are just corrective plans can be put in place and things can be done better, uh, I think that's what everyone's looking for. It's certainly not a witch hunt. It's certainly not something where somebody's got a just preset agenda that we're going to pile on just to pile on. It's not politically motivated. I think anyone would say, based on where it sets up today and what has happened just in recent months with respect to the Turnpike Authority. That's a really good point, and we've got to move on. I mean, the Turnpike Authority is incredibly important to the state. The Department of Transportation, incredibly important to the state. Uh, so I, I think that that's an important point. We've got to move on. And the, you know, the, the attorney general in, in doing this, if he were on a political witch hunt, uh, he doesn't have to do this. He could have filed criminal charges and the Open Meetings Act violation uh, right now. I mean, he could have done that yesterday. And so we haven't seen that. And I think that that's, that's partly you know, restraint on his part because he knows that if we're going to do this, we've got to do it right. And if I just go file criminal charges against a few folks, that does look like a politically motivated deal. Uh, and so... Does that mean that there won't be indictments after this is over? You know, who knows? But right now, this is this is the appropriate way to go about it. And for financial stability, um, in looking at this, when you have bond ratings and you have so yeah. many other things mm-hmm. that are financially tied to this, uh, and and not only that, but just what uh, what the view is, not only inside Oklahoma but outside Oklahoma, Wall Street, and other places who pay attention to what goes on when you talk about billions of dollars and turnpike authorities and transportation departments and the like. So uh, serious business. No, no one really, I think, has uh, any supposition on what the outcome would be. They just want to see this go through a process and finally get some resolution. Well, we might as well stay on Attorney General Gettner Drummond. <laughs> so <laughs> I love the story. During Sunshine Week ending last Friday, the Attorney General announced his office has cleared a sizable backlog of open records requests. Drummond says he fulfilled 66 requests dating back several years and 34 requests his office has received just since January. Ryan, does this set a new tone for the Attorney General's office? Absolutely, and, and it's, it's important that you know, folks need to know the Attorney General's office is the office that has the, the most jurisdiction over enforcing the Open Records Act and the Open Meetings Act in the state of Oklahoma. They, they provide trainings, they make sure that 
you know, government officials, because if you're just elected as a, as a county commissioner uh, and on day one, you probably don't know the ins and outs of the Open Meetings Act or the Open Records Act, but that's what the attorney general's office is there for. And so they set this tone. They're able to clear this out. And I think that they cleared even, you know, 30 requests that came in that month while they were clearing the backlog. <laughs> um, and, you know, to me, that sets uh, an important precedent, not just for the attorney general's office, but for every other uh, state agency out there or, or government entity in the state of Oklahoma that is covered under the Open Meetings Act and the Open Records Act, uh, that if the AG's office can do this uh, and you've got maybe two or three sitting there pending and they've been you know, sitting on your desk for, for a month or two or three months and they're starting to gather dust, you need to move those things off. I mean, these, it's not, um, it, the, you know, the open records request you know, may seem uh, like they are, are meant to, to needle a state agency or, or a state official or something like that um, or, or to be an annoyance. But it's not. I mean, this is our ability as uh, as citizens. Anybody can file an open records request, um, and and it's very easy to do. Um, even even if a state agency or entity sometimes makes it seem difficult uh, to do, uh, it's really not. Most of the time, you can just send an email and tell them what you want, and they'll most of the time will reach back out and say, "Is this you know uh, make sure and you know make, maybe narrow the scope, whatever that is." They'll work with you, but. This is an important precedent, and, and I hope that we begin to see it emulated around the state. Neva. You know, I think it's interesting, too, the calculation, uh, and I, I would assume it's calculation, not just uh, it happenstance, that this happened during Sunshine Week. I mm. mean, the, the fact that you uh, saw this, a significant move, and, and the statements being made by the Attorney General about how important this is, um, in light of the fact that Sunshine Week, for those of our listeners who don't know, I mean, I think it is important, uh, kind of a piece of trivia, but um, it it always coincides uh, with the March 16th birthday of James Madison, who not only was our fourth president, one of the, the framers of the Bill of Rights, but he was a real architect of the whole freedom of the press as being a benchmark of our Bill of Rights. And so being such a fierce uh, supporter of a free press and the watchdog of, of government, uh, it, it really is one of those things from the, from the standpoint of people in the profession, in journalism, in news, news leaders, um, to, uh, uh, to really concentrate that week and really take note uh, of, of important things that have happened. So for the attorney general to seize on that, his office to do that, um, I think you're right, Ryan. I mean, I think it is important for citizens to know that the mm. law does guarantee our right to know. And uh, uh, that means access to government information. It means uh, whether that's a school board meeting, uh, whether it's a city council meeting, county government, state government, at all levels, all the way to the highest levels in, 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 the federal, uh, in our federal government. And that is, that is something that uh, is significant, and I applaud the Attorney General for uh, uh, not only doing that, but also taking, uh, taking the position of adding what he calls a public access counselor as one of his uh, uh, assistant uh, attorney generals mm -hmm. who will be specifically tasked with dealing with the uh, municipalities and the and county governors, governments and commissions and the like to be able to make sure that there is uh, full compliance with both open, open meeting and open records acts going forward. I didn't know the James Madison deal. I'm, I'm going to be better at trivial pursuit now. This, this is been... <laughs> well, that uh, comes from someone who uh, started out in, in that group and with the Society of Professional Journalists. And uh, um, and, it, and it is something that I think uh, is important for people to know. And we shouldn't we should. take it for granted. How many, how many folks around the world live in countries where the idea 
that they could uh, send an email Ask to a government anything. official yeah, right. and say, that's I right. want to see your documents, your emails, your records. Uh, you know, to them, that just, you know, it's unimaginable. Right. And, and we've just got that here. That's, that's an important uh, uh, facet of being yeah. an American and being uh, in Oklahoma with a strong open records. And act. I think A.G. Drummond said it went best when he said that a transparent government uh, uh, is a better, uh, transparent yeah. government is a better government. And that really, that really in one phrase kind of coins what we're, we're talking about through all of this. And the fact that we now have this backlog taken care of, and there appears to be every intention to make sure that that backlog problem doesn't exist in the future. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org. This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by Oklahoma State Medical Association, physicians dedicated to providing and increasing access to health care for all Oklahomans. More on its vision and mission at okmed.org.